Hey there, John here. We are so glad you're listening to the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you find something here you'll enjoy and that gives you a reason to come back. If you've been listening for a little while or a long while, as is the case with so many of you, I want to ask a favor. Would you consider introducing us to just one friend this week? There's really no better method of advertising than word of mouth. Pick a friend who shares your sense of humor or interests, even if they don't know what a podcast is, and tell them why our show has become a regular listening for you. And be bold. Help them get a podcast app on their phone and walk them through how to subscribe to the show. We love that you're here and would greatly appreciate your recommendation. Thanks for your time. Now, let's get on with the show. I'm Huey, the Comic Half Squatch, and High Commander of the Blaster Stash at Comic Book Review Show on YouTube. And I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can too by going to patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown up? Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to episode 66 of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I'm John. Joining me, as always, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And Mo is here. Hey, everybody. In this episode, we'll evaluate Al Pacino's Nazi hunting skills, talk about <laughs> cutting-edge battery technology, and highlight an indie puzzle game that takes place in the world of street signs. You know, a true sign of friendship, though, and maturity is the ability to say you're sorry. Oh, and George? Fuck off. You had okay. something that you wanted to say to Mo. Yes. Uh-oh. Mo. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me get ready. Hold up. Yeah, All right, go ahead. I'm ready. Prepare yes. yourself. <laughs> I'm ready. You I'm ready. Okay, go out? for it. Yes, okay. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. God, this is painful. It's okay. Just take a deep breath. I apologize. You were absolutely correct. The song Brick House was only ever written and sung by the Commodores. Rick James had nothing to do with it. (laughs) I was so sure. You were positive. You were positive. And to my defense, it wasn't uh, Lionel Richie who sang the song for the Commodores. Uh It was the other singer who, after listening to it, I think he was a better singer. But (laughs) (laughs) he sounded and portrayed himself a lot like Rick James and some of Rick James's stuff. So I guess that's what threw me off because I always think of the Commodores as only Lionel Richie and Mm. I didn't realize that they had other singers. I'm not old enough as Mo is to recognize that fact. So So you couldn't hear that voice doing Brickhouse and nothing that was uh, some other vocalist for the Commodores. Yeah, like, uh, because Commodores, who do you think of? You think I'm Lionel Richie? Yeah, I guess so. And then there's the Commodores. That's all I ever think about, but no, it was absolutely. I even watched the video and I'm like, damn, that voice is coming out of that fucker with the Commodores. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, Mo's right. So after you released it on Patreon, the, yeah. the little backtrack clip edit for the patrons only, I was like, okay, I better go, better go <laughs> find check out, out if you're what's right. going on here. <laughs> damn it, I'm wrong. Mo's right. So, Mo, I apologize. Apology accepted. Although, feels good to be right. I had no doubt. <laughs> 
<laughs> George knows all about how it feels good to be right with all the you know, Weird Al Yankovic email coming in. So right, <laughs> just give Mo a slice of that. That's nice. Wow, thanks. I, I, feel, I feel so special that you shared. No, I mean, it's I, I, I totally get it. It's like you're wrong. I mean, just want to make sure that point is clear. <laughs> Let's establish that, and yeah, then establish that. I'll talk but to you about. Having it. said that, I understand how you could be the confusion on that. It's not a typical Commodore song. Yeah, it's not close to Commodores of anything I've ever known of them. It's all you know, dancing on the ceiling kind of bullshit, which is not Commodores. But <laughs> let's not go into that. Let's, let's not go into <laughs> All right. Before you have to go into another apology next episode, let's move along. <laughs> uh, we do have some fourth listener email to talk about. One of my favorite parts of the show right after Mo and George, before you do that to me. <laughs> so we got an email from Chad who wrote in and the subject line is vinyl. Oh, OK. Chad, of course, longtime listener and supporter over on Patreon. Thanks, Chad. Chad's email. I'm sure he's writing about our uh, uh, record stores, the Columbia Record House and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So here's what he had to say. Just want to let you know that I buy vinyl through the mail all the time. I've never had a problem with it being broken or anything like that. Knock on wood. I mentioned who would want to order vinyl through the mails or like danger of it breaking. Apparently, they've worked out a system. I don't know what it is, but it's okay. not happening. He says, I get them from Amazon or directly from the artist's websites and has no trouble with them getting broken in the mail. So fair enough. All right, cool. So there are some artists out there that are producing vinyl on their own then. It's not just a nostalgic thing, I guess. Oh, no. It's oh, just yeah. I mean, uh... There's like a vinyl section at Walmart now. Like if you go to electronics. Yeah. No is it really? Yeah. Yeah, they, they have vinyl up there. And it's everything from like Michael Jackson's Thriller to like current Billy Ellis and stuff. I mean, it's everybody is putting out vinyl and old stuff is coming back on vinyl. So Wow. So Chad must be a uh, music snob. He's got to have his vinyl. It just sounds purer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not picking Analog on Analog is so much better. It is so much better. That's right. Uh, he goes on to say, oh, and I also ripped off Columbia House, BMG, and the Columbia House VHS DVD Club many times. He ripped them <laughs> off? I want to know how he did that. Well, the thing we talked about, the free trial with the fake email or whatever, you know, the deal. Yeah, but those things send it to your house. How do you fake your house address? I don't know. You send it to a P.O. box and then never come back or something? What do you do? Buy, just ship it to like a vacant lot and you go pick up the stuff. <laughs> just like, get there. You're just hanging out in a van waiting for the postal delivery guy to come by. Yeah, just slip that right in here. You're right in my coat. That's good. Oh, God, that sounded so wrong. <laughs> records. We're talking about records, Mo. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's clarify that. So Chad wraps up saying, I really don't feel bad at all after hearing how they ripped off the artists, as we discussed in our backtrack. Well, I mean, I'm glad he stuck it to them, but he's still kind of halfway ripping <laughs> off the artists by going through them because they're still not getting any money. <laughs> 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 Would you just let Chad feel good? Okay. Yes. Let him have this one. Sorry, let Chad. Have this moment. Please feel wonderful about your life decisions. I apologize. Yeah, and you should because the way you signed his letter was forever fourth listener, Chad. Okay, he's redeemed himself. Favorite salutation. Yeah, redeemed. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Chad, for writing in. You know we love when the fourth listener writes in. If you want to get your email read on the show, it's easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. You'll be read in a future episode. Uh, we also got with the uh, the increasingly not surprising iTunes review came wow. in. I just for a long time these didn't happen, and now it seems like we're getting pretty regularly every couple of weeks, which is great. That's yeah, fantastic. I told you I'm not getting surprised anymore. No more. No more. I'll only That's be fine. surprised if they don't happen. So <laughs> this is an iTunes review from Ben. Ben is actually uh, a, a he recently found us, recently joined us on Patreon as well. So that's super Ooh. cool, Ben. And listen, Ben gets bonus points here. You don't have to litter your iTunes review with callbacks to 80s pop culture stuff. But if you do, 
<laughs> Bonus credit. This is how you do it, huh? Yeah. So here was Ben's iTunes review. Uh, so the subject line was, this is the content you're looking for, Gen X. Five stars. Nice. <laughs> okay. I finally made my peace with the fact that I can't have a DeLorean time machine to take me back to the 80s. Oh, yeah. The good news is my online search to do so prompted the algorithms to lead me to this podcast. Great Scott, (laughs) is it good? (laughs) Great Sears ghost. (laughs) The chemistry between these guys is amazing and the quality of the content is exactly what I was looking for. Proud to be a new Patreon supporter, subscriber, listener, and Gen X grown up, Ben. Thank you, Ben. That was pretty cool. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, you get little callbacks in there, a little Back to the Future, get a little Star Wars in there. I think it's great, Scott. You did, yeah, yeah. So Doc Brown would be super proud of you, Ben, and we're super proud of you for leaving that review on iTunes. It really helps people to find the show. If you have not yet left an iTunes review or wherever you listen, uh, we really would appreciate. I know it's kind of a hardship on iTunes because it's not a very intuitive system. No, but if you would do like Ben did and so many others have, head over there, leave us that five star review. We'd be very, very grateful. All right, Ben, we've got the apology taken care of. We listened to some fourth listener email and reviews. Wait, wait, let's hit. The apology again, just to be sure we got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Just no. a shot. <laughs> I <had to> try. <laughs> Bonus points for giving it a try. Well done. <laughs> if it doesn't Can't make it into the ass. recording, it's not my fault and it's not happening again. <laughs> After seven days of treatment with iodine, this cut still hasn't healed. The same is true with the leading antiseptic liquid, the leading antiseptic spray. In fact, none of them help heal as fast as the number one doctor-recommended first aid treatment, Neosporin. Well, let's kick off our media segment then here at the head of the show. We're talking about anything new we've been checking out in the world of media. It could be television or theater or films or music or whatever it might be. And George, I want to start with you. Uh, This is not ticking a box, but I know that you actually were looking forward to a new television series starring none other than Al Pacino. How's that going? Uh, Yes, it is true. Although I want to point out that it's never just ticking a box. If I put it in the looking forward (laughs) and then I talk about it in the next podcast, Mm. it's still legitimate because I was always looking forward to it. And then I always followed up on it. That's not ticking a box. That's just the way you set the rules that I'm following. And he's ticking a box. Okay. I'll, I'll reserve judgment for the next time you do a cheap box stick. All right. <laughs> now it's got a name, cheap box stick. <laughs> that's going to be the name of my ska band when I get uh, yeah, where is it, right? running. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't think Al Pacino is going to be in your ska band. However, he no. is in the new TV series, Hunters. It's not really a TV series. Streaming series, I guess, is more appropriate. Yeah. It's oh, on right. Amazon Prime. Okay, yeah, Hunters. Yeah, and it says it's loosely based on events that really happened. After watching the first episode, I'm like, holy shit, if any of these events really happened... There was some scary stuff going on that we've never heard about or known about in the news. It's idyllically set in what appears to be the mid to late 70s, like Mm 77-ish. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Al Pacino is is awesome. He plays a great character and a great role. But the series, the way it's flowing so far, at least in the first episode, it's not one of those that's grabbed me and made me watch all eight episodes that have been released. Ooh. So So not binge-worthy necessarily. uh, Well... So far, I mean, I want to go back and watch episode number two, three, four, but just not like I don't have that desire to I have to click that button of continue viewing, you know, like when the episode ends and you get that little button in the bottom right hand corner says, you know, next episode. 
I actually exited out and started watching something else. You're like, meh, <laughs> I don't know yeah. about that. <laughs> so first episode was an hour and a half, which I thought was a little much. I signed okay. up to watch an episode, not a film, but that's okay. And then <laughs> I looked and all the other episodes are at least an hour. So there's a time commitment. They're really taking that liberty to make it the length they want based on the fact they're just Concept, a streaming yeah. service. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, they've got Al Pacino there. So I figure they might as well get as much of him on film as possible, yeah. I suppose. And he's not <laughs> so far in the first episode. He's definitely not the main character. The main character is somebody else, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. He's definitely supporting. However, you can tell he is going to be the driving force behind the main characters. It seems like when you get a big actor this. like that for this kind of project, you're going to make them like this anchor, though they might not be the main action driver kind of right. thing. Yeah. Al Pacino gets his hands dirty and <laughs> so does the main character and a few other people. And there's some very dark themes. This is not for the lighthearted. So if you're looking for an uplifting, you know, comedy buddy cop t- type thing, this is not it. This is exactly the opposite of that. Gotcha. So I'm going to ask you two quick questions. Uh, and one I probably should have asked early on. But so if anybody has not, they're not aware of what Hunters is. So just a quick synopsis of what, sure. like the, what's the conceit? What's the idea? And then I'll ask you this my second one. Yeah. So apparently Nazis have infiltrated America post World War II. So everything from you know, the 1940s, 50s onward, and they have integrated themselves into our society in different ways. Some of them as high political office holders, Mm. all the way down to local businessmen, right? And they are walking in and amongst us and... As this group of Jewish people led by the main character, as he goes around and discovers them, there is a hunt. So that's why it's called Hunters, to try and track down these Nazis and just flat out kill them. There's no bringing them to justice. Oh, oh, all right. There's no, we're going (laughs) to put them in front of a court. None of that is going to happen. It's the heavy that you alluded to. Yeah, they're just outright killing them. Gotcha. All right. Since you'd said it didn't like really grab you to get you streaming. So if somebody, I would like to know what you did and didn't like about it and really why it didn't grab you, if you can put your finger on it to kind of give somebody else an idea whether they should uh, give it a shot. I would put it in the liked category. Um, uh, it's it's got a really good storyline. It's got good writing. Of course, anytime you can watch Al Pacino in just about anything, it's going to have some good highlights and good points. Yep. Why it didn't grab me, I think so far. And that it might, might be hard to put your finger the, on. Well, no, yeah. I think it might be the main character. The main oh, character. Really? Not the Al Pacino, but the kind of leader of this group. But uh-huh. the view into the world. He's a young man who uh, his grandmother has raised him most of his life. They're Jewish, obviously. That's why they're involved in these situations that they're involved in. I've just never latched on to him, I think, as a likable character. There was just something about the way that they wrote his character, the dialogue, the choices that he made or didn't make in some scenes that just didn't endear him to me as a person that you want to say, oh, crap. I want to see what happens to this kid next. I want to make sure he gets his revenge or he finds out what he wants to find out or anything or that nothing happens to him. I just don't care about him yet. Hmm. So a lot of it kind of comes down to the characterization of that main character. Is it the actor too, or just really how they've written him? I think a little bit the actor. Yeah. Okay. But more how they've written him. All right. So Hunters on Amazon Prime, right? Right. Where you can mm-hmm. get it. Do you know how, much, uh, how many episodes there are? I know you only watched the first one so uh, far. Eight episodes, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. Eight episodes, hour and a half for the first one, an hour piece for the other seven. Sounds like a strong maybe. A yeah. strong maybe. <laughs> a yeah. definite maybe. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. All so right, what about cool. you? Are you watching anything, John? I Well, you know that I love documentaries, and I stumbled across <laughs> another really cool documentary called Not For Resale. Ooh. And uh, okay. yeah, so Not For Resale falls right into, like right in a groove with uh, the stuff that we do a lot on YouTube and some of our friends do. It's all about how digital distribution is starting to damage the video game aftermarket for, you know, resellers, like the little used games and that kind of thing. Oh. There's a more physical game. Right. The, the whole thing comes down to, you know, it starts kind of with Xbox Live Arcade back in, I was like, 05, 06 or whatever, when it, that was really the first time that digital distribution, I mean, Steam was a thing already. Right. Xbox Live Arcade, you could start to download games directly to your console. Consoles, time. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. I don't have a physical copy. And it was kind of a novelty. And then it really took off. And now so many games don't have any physical release anymore. So this documentary follows several different used game stores. And I don't mean games. Stops. I mean, like mom and pop independent things from all over the United States. A couple in Manhattan that I've actually visited, which is cool to go. I've been there, but they're gone. Uh, no, no, it's still there for now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the whole documentary, uh, you get to know the people and why they started a game store and what they like about it. But a lot of them are real kind of philosophical about the fact that, and we've alluded to, I think, on this show probably where we talk about there's something about putting your hands on it and having the artifact. This guy said, you know, watching a movie or downloading a movie from Netflix or Amazon or whatever, you're in that world for two hours. When you go and play a video game, you might live in that world for like 40 hours and it's all in your mind. And having that game, that cartridge or that disc, it's almost like bringing home an artifact from your 40 hour adventure. You know, it's the only tangible thing you can have. And I thought that was a pretty poignant way of, of kind of encapsulating why it's nice to have. I have that Donkey Kong cartridge from the 2600 on my shelf, not because I want to play it again, but because it represents the time I spent buying it and playing it when I was a kid and that kind of thing. And it's a pretty awesome documentary to check out. Okay, cool. But the thing is, I mean, this is the way it's going, right? Well, yeah, right. It's kind of like the streaming thing. You know, it's, I mean, this is inevitable. How are they going to survive? I mean, they well, talk the question about is, that. How can they? Yeah. I don't think they can. I mean, when you think about it, as we, the generation who cares more about those tangible items gets older and older, we're going to want those things less and less. And eventually we're not going to either A, have money to buy those things or B, have the desire to because we're going to be paying for our Depends and prescriptions and everything else as we get older. <laughs> Colonoscopies. At that point, you know, those right. shops are going to have to, they're just going to end up closing the George? same way yeah. VHS tapes yeah. did. That's why yeah. there's, how many VHS stores are around now? Like maybe 100, so 200? Yeah, yeah, so few. You know, and they really kind of run that down a little bit, George. They talk about, one guy in the documentary says there's this window, like there's people that they love like the origin from like Odyssey 2 through NES and like those guys. And that's kind of like people in our age, you know, late 40s, early 50s. Those guys have kind of stopped buying stuff because either they got out of the hobby or they got too old or they have what they want already, right? They, they right, got yeah. it. Right. And they then there's a second wave that they're in the heyday of right now, which is the NES through the Xbox kind of era. They grew up when it, before digital was a huge thing and they're still wanting to collect and resalvage those artifacts from the games they played. But we're just, we're bleeding into that beginning edge where post Xbox, where some games have no digital release at all, yeah. or, or rather where they have no physical release at all. And are they going to care about anything before them and it's they don't provide an answer but they definitely give it a solid look as to what's going on with digital distribution how it impacts these used game stores and collecting of them so not for resale worth checking out i think it's, it came out last year or the year before last but you know new to me makes it new to you so there you go all right <laughs> mo how about you what have you been checking out well <laughs> i was really debating whether i wanted to see this movie or not but i did see it it was sonic
Sonic the Hedgehog. You went oh, and saw right. that thing? I went and saw it. So, John, you were supposed to be there. You didn't show. I said I might be there. I didn't make it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to see if I made a good decision or not. So, go ahead. John said he was going to be there, and then he had an attack of good taste. And decided <laughs> yeah, exactly. To well, you guys know the backstory behind this, right? The movie was actually supposed to come out like six months ago or something. And yeah, they the- did a trailer for it, and the, the Sonic CG looked so freaky. He had like human teeth and tiny eyes. And yeah, it was he really looked like, like his Ugh. face looked like a human face, and it was just, it was just creepy as hell. And so they basically listened to the outrage, (laughs) redid all of the CG for the entire movie and and postponed the release. And I actually, I think that was a smart move. The movie was, it was, it was a fun movie. It had Jim Carrey in it. I hear that Jim Carrey was being the most Jim Carreyist he's been in years. Is that true? Yeah, he really was. He he was like, you know, I mean, Jim Carrey, remember him growing up, but he was always the over the top guy, right? Right. This role, he was able to do that again. Like you couldn't overact this role. It was impossible. Like he's, he's (laughs) masked Jim Carrey in this one. Is that right? And it fit really (laughs) well. His scenes were super funny. I think it was as a game kind of like, okay, how could this fit? into like, quote, unquote, real world. You know, I think they did a really good job of kind of managing that and figuring out how Sonic is here in the real world, so to speak. And it was a fun movie. I said, I think it was a really good family movie. I enjoyed it. Felt a little weird because I was definitely probably one of two of the oldest guys sitting in the theater at the time. But (laughs) other than that and the creepy looks I got, it was a really good movie. Hmm. All right. The Sonic, I mean, it had a little bit of heart in it. It had the action scenes were pretty cool. You know, they had the big climatic ending, of course, that everyone was looking for. So I, I would say it's now using Georgia's scale, right? Right. Yeah. I would say uh, discount Tuesdays. Yeah. Okay. It's so like that, that matinee $5 yeah. or whatever. Matinee you $5. Sneak in there. So you want to see with the kids kind of thing. It definitely would fit into that category. Yeah. I've been on the bubble with this one. I don't know. Is is, is there anything redeeming? Like, is, is it worthwhile if you never played or enjoyed Sonic? Because that was the Sega and I never played Sonic really. I was a oh, Mario yeah. person. I mean, really, there's a couple little throwbacks to the original Sonic. Yep. Like the opening sequence, you see him running through what looks like an old Sonic, like a, a 3D rendering of a Sonic mm-hmm. okay. side scroller. But then that's really about it. But there's a movie there for you if you're not already a pre-existing yeah, I Sonic think fan. this okay. toward little kids who probably never played Sonic. All right. So before we get out of talking about Sonic, I want to kind of throw this against the wall and see if you've heard this conspiracy theory or what your thoughts Uh-oh. are on it, George and Mo. At the beginning of talking about Sonic, Mo, you said, hey, the story was they put out this teaser trailer and we saw Sonic was all ugly and weird and the internet exploded. And then they listened to the fans and they changed it and it's doing great at the box office. Right. I've read at least two articles that said, what are the odds that that was a marketing ploy? If it was, it was a very expensive one. If, if you come out knowing you have, hey, it's we'd have a great design. Let's make a crappy design, put out a bad trailer, get people up in arms and then change it to something they love just so it's in it, the just news to see more? the difference. Yeah. I mean, what's the over under? What are the odds on that? Would you say, George? Likely uh, that they're so, that smart. So they've had a year to revamp the whole CGI thing? Yeah, they could yep. could have in that time, theoretically. Yeah, they that was marketing. You think so? Yeah, that's not enough time hmm. to redo okay. all the CGI work in an entire year. Everything that they'd already done granted they theoretically would have had at least 75 percent of the film cgi done before they released the trailer you would hope you're not yeah, gonna, you you're not gonna so. do the last 25 maybe you do the last 25 <laughs> you're not gonna do any more than that in the last year before release because you got to get copies out to everywhere and now you know posters and everything else it's too crunched of a timeline they had whatever this version that they released in theaters that was already done well if it is it was genius because apparently it's doing well at the box office mo saw it and he liked it 
So, I mean, without that, you might not have been on your radar. You might not have seen it at all. Who knows? Yeah, I still won't have seen it at all, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) My theory, I think it's more of a 25% it was planned, 75% it wasn't because, yeah, I I understand your point, but I think they already had, all they had to do is change models in this case, like change the character model. So it was like, it was a re-render for sure, right? right? A re-render, which wouldn't take as long as a redesign Maybe, but that's, you're thinking of skins in a video game. This is a lot more complex. Well, they got a lot more complex computers. If all the motion and stuff is already there, we and, have ENIAC. And it's just character models. I mean, I saw were they able to switch these out like at Pixar, like behind the scenes things? Were they able to switch out character models like pretty fast and re render the whole thing just hmm. with a new model, essentially? But I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible though, for sure. If, if anything, it is the least nefarious bait and switch ever. I mean, it, no harm was done. If anything, it yeah. was, if it's true, it was a genius marketing move. It, well, yeah, that's true. I give them hats off if it was if true. If not, it's still goodwill on behalf of the filmmakers. So it's, and you know, I don't feel tricked. I'm okay with it if that is what happened. Yeah, if it happened, I might tip my hat. You know, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Good on you, Sonic. Yeah. Great news. I don't need surgery for my hemorrhoids. The doctor said they're not that serious. Well, what did he say? He told me to eat right, get some exercise, and when they act up, use Preparation H. Thousands of doctors distribute this hemorrhoidal care guide from the makers of Preparation H. It advises a fiber-rich diet, exercise, and for flare-ups, try Preparation H to help shrink swelling of hemorrhoidal tissue and often provide temporary relief of pain and itch. (sighs) It's over. (laughs) <laughs> it's over. It's over. What's over? The the, the show? The podcast? Are we done? No, no, no. Because I got nothing stuff that, to do. Not that, nothing that insignificant. I'm talking about something important here. That Whoa. I have nothing wow. to talk about in Tekken twice. <laughs> are you talking about your stupid streak of one again? Yeah, it's over. It's, it's... <laughs> I told you one does not make a streak, Mo. I <laughs> well, knew I knew it was premature it declaring it a streak. Oh, uh, let's look at the definition of that. But anyway, we can argue that yeah. all day. We'll just assume that you know, no, we'll agree we to can't. disagree on There's that. There's no argument. It's not a damn streak. Done. We'll agree to disagree, and let's move on, George. Nope. What do no, you got we agree to agree. It's true. No streak. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, why don't we find something that Mo can at least participate talking about, if not his own tech or toy? Yeah. So how are we going to do that? George, you had something you wanted to talk about that isn't necessarily in your hands right now, but is kind of a cutting-edge technology that we could all benefit from in the near future. Well, that is true, and the near future is actually here much faster than I thought it was going to be. So I've been following this new emerging science and technology around batteries because I'm very interested and I very much want to own an electric vehicle. Right now, my eye is set on the model, the Tesla Model 3, but the only hesitancy most people have when it comes into electric vehicles always centers yep. around the battery. How far am I going to yep. get on a drive? How yep. long is the battery going to last? Yeah, that battery paranoia. It, it's yep. like the, the, the feeling that like my phone battery is on 2% and I walk out the door. It's that same kind of thing amplified because now I could get stranded somewhere because my car battery is on 2%, right? Right, exactly. I've been following this one new area as it relates to battery technology, and that's graphene batteries. Now, back in the early 2000s, a couple of scientists discovered graphene and were able to actually produce one of the molecules and graphene is a derivative of graphite, the same stuff that's in your pencils. The only difference is graphite is the three-dimensional construct and graphene is two-dimensional. It's just a flat, thin layer. Like a mesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a single molecule level, right? Yeah, single molecule level, and it has some really interesting properties. It's stronger than steel. It's bulletproof. It's one of the best conductors of electricity without producing heat. It lasts 
pretty much forever. I've seen some different demonstrations of graphene molecules being pulled away from a sheet and everything. And the stuff is just incredible. It's really, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. really interesting. So the idea is, of course, to ultimately create an entire graphene battery. It would be way more efficient than lithium ion. Lithium ion hates it when you pour energy into it. That's why when you plug in your battery and mm-hmm. you plug in an amp that's maybe a little bit too much for that battery, it gets really hot. Okay? Yeah, right. okay. Or when you're using a program on your phone and it's siphoning off a lot of energy from that battery. Your <laughs> yep. phone gets really hot. That's why yep. lithium ion hates that. Yeah, plus is the whole lithium aspect of it. Well, there's the lithium like aspect of it. Like disposing of it and uh, all that stuff yeah. too. On top of Environmental that. concerns, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Now, with graphene being the wonder substance that it is, if we could, A, produce it cheaply enough, which we have now in the last couple of years, it's gone from like $7,000 a gram down to like nothing because they found new manufacturing techniques. So what they're doing now is it's kind of the interim step between no graphene batteries and every battery being nothing but graphene. They are taking lithium ion batteries and they are lacing them with two sheets on either side of graphene. Really? Yeah. And Samsung is doing something a little bit differently. They're actually impregnating, I hate to say it that way, but that's what they're doing, <laughs> lithium ion batteries it's a technical with term. It's graphene. Right. <laughs> uh, and their batteries, the Samsung batteries are going to be coming out in phones this year or next year, which is way faster than I expected. And there is currently a company Damn. right now selling a graphene battery pack, the same kind that you carry around with you to charge your phone and everything. Yeah, They're okay. selling them online right now. You can buy. Wow. So you're educating me about graphene. I don't know. Are you able to quantify like what I mean, we talked about the structure and how it doesn't get hot and whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it also like a, a better capacity, a longer lasting, a, that kind of thing? Because well, the big problem I've always had with batteries in general is batteries have not kept up with the evolution of technology. No, sure. Technology haven't. gets better and stronger behind. and faster. And the batteries are the thing that are always like, oh, it can't keep up and it won't last all day and that kind of thing. What does it promise beyond just not getting hot? What's better about it? Yeah, so uh, definitely a higher charge capacity. That's one of the features that Like a bigger talk. like milliamp kind of thing with yeah. storage capacity? Uh, okay. You know, smaller space. Ah, okay. The hot part is the one of the bigger aspects of it because getting hot is one of the things that helps degrade the batteries even faster, mm. right? So when so your battery so longer gets lasting hot, as well. that ah. reduces how long your lithium-ion battery is going to last every single time it happens. Damn. So let me ask you, because yep. there's a couple of things about today's rechargeable batteries, especially that everyone hates is one is the weight. That's why these yes. cars are so freaking heavy. Yeah. And the other one is how long it takes to charge them. The fact that it takes so long. So does these help with either of those two problems? Absolutely. Graphene can reduce your charging time by as much as 75%. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. That's not a little bit. <laughs> because it can <laughs> receive more amps because it doesn't get hot. That's the whole point, right? right. So if you, you, actually pump you can throw it, that many amps into a lithium ion battery, well, if you it'll want take to explode, the charge, sure. but eventually it'll explode. <laughs> yeah. This never will. That's the whole point. You can throw amps at this thing all day long. That's why it takes a shorter amount of time to charge the battery. So I saw test results that showed the one that's for sale right now, 10,000 milliamp hours being charged in 20 minutes from zero to 100 compared to an hour and a half of lithium ion. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So much faster charge time. The weight is definitely reduced. I'm not going to say it's significantly, but it is reduced. And I think what is the more lasting effect is going to be how many charge cycles you can get out of a battery. Typical lithium ion batteries, you can get five to 600 charge cycles out of. That means, you know, draining it down and charging it back up Mm -hmm. 600 times. With graphene, so far they're measuring in the 12 to 1500 range. So 
three times as many cycles as you can out of a lithium ion. Now, if they could just get the price where lithium ion is, it's, it's it seems like a no brainer already. That's why yeah, Samsung that's... is releasing their impregnated batteries this year or next year, and it'll only be like a twenty percent increase of the component charge that they have to deal with. I want this in everything right now. I know, and it's coming. <laughs> that's the that's why I wanted to talk about it today because I'm so impressed with how quickly i mean this is 2006 when these two guys discovered it and you know it's like less than 20 years now and they're already yeah. putting it into devices that's an incredibly fast technology cycle for that large of a leap well and we were so overdue though for battery technology it's yeah. miserable they're saying like a lot of the uh sustainable energy things that have out there like solar and all this stuff the big issue is not so much gathering the energy it's storing it for use when there isn't sunlight mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. they said right mm -hmm. now like i know tesla has those battery that you can put in like the walls of your house. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The wall bank. Yep. Yeah. They act like insulation as well. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of freaking battery to have in your walls. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> especially if it gets hot. Yeah, especially if they get hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that could be bad. Or explode. Yeah. Right. So if they could get that size down to like a reasonable size, and that really makes a lot of these sustainable energy things like a lot more feasible and cost effective. I mean, Damn. it's it's a win-win-win all the way around. The only thing is adoption. The companies have to start adopting this technology, and the only way they're going to start adopting it is if we, the consumers, start demanding it. I, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to buy one of those battery packs from the company that's doing the graphene batteries, mm -hmm. and I will not buy another cell phone until it has a graphene influxed or influenced or whatever Pregnated, I don't care what the word is, a graphene battery inside of it. Well, I, th I think Man. it's going to happen just because of the lithium aspect of it also, because there's very few producers of lithium in the world and yeah. all these companies are beholden to them. And so if they could break away well, from that, I think that would just uh, help them. They can, but the problem is there's only like 10 different graphene producers in the world. Yeah, but I think the numbers will go up though. I mean, if, when people see money, they'll do there's it. There's a supply problem right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the issue, right? It's a new thing. It's going to be awesome, but I don't think there's going to be the widespread production that there is of some of this other stuff. So I don't think that's going to get answered by graphene, but I think everything else will. And there's that kind of widespread problem that is always with adoption, especially in technology. Like, look how long it's taken USB-C to become widely adopted. And it's, it's been still around not the forever. Devices. I know it's yeah. still not the standard, right? But the nice thing about power is power is power. It's not like it's a shaped plug or whatever. If you can get the electrons moving, right, <laughs> right. You plug in those two <laughs> wires, it shouldn't be as painful. Man, I hope this comes along sooner than later yeah, because so too. Like, it's just, I'm eager for it. Well, John, what about you? Because Mo doesn't have any tech or toys. Have you got yeah, any so tech toys that relate to batteries <laughs> in any way, shape, or form? Or are you just going to go yeah, off on a hey, I'm sure. still writing my apology from the beginning of the show, so. <laughs> <laughs> He's hanging on to that. He has that to episode. live on. All right. <laughs> what do you got, John? I have a tech toy that has a battery in it. Does that help work for you? I guess that'll yeah, work, that works. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I know that not all of our uh, listeners on the podcast are the same as our viewers on YouTube, and I like to reference things that I do there because they bear a little more repeating and uh, kind of detail than what I might doing a YouTube video. But just recently, I did a review of a one-sixth scale arcade cabinet from a company called New Wave Toys. They put out this line called Replicate. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I remember that video. So they sent me this Street Fighter II cabinet that they put out. And there's several things about it that I kind of just glossed over in the video, but I want to talk about it here both for the audience that's different and also to expand on those items. The short version to recap what it is, and we'll put a link uh, to the video down in the show notes. I'll mm -hmm. throw to you, Mo. It is a Street Fighter cabinet. And we've looked at a lot of these tabletop arcade machines 
but they're all, uh, they're kind of toys. They're 20, 25 bucks and they have some version of the game in it and it has some artwork on it. And a lot of my reviews, I'm saying, how close is it to the arcade right. machine? It's kind of what you're looking for when you collect these. Uh, by the way, New Wave Toys actually sent us one to review, so I didn't pay for it, but I can tell you that it costs $120 for this Street Fighter 2 cabinet. Yeah. That is only a foot tall. Now, Street Fighter 2, now you're talking two sets of control, it is two player, right? It, it is two player. Okay. Yeah. And I, how they accomplish that, I'll get to uh, okay. very briefly here. But it's the reason I think it's worth $120 is, uh, first of all, if you are a collector and you loved these cabinets, this one six scale thing, I mean, it is as close to perfect as you can get. Proportion, shape, scale, like angles of everything. I mean, they go out of their way to make it just so perfect. Uh, and it is. Uh, it really is great. When you go into the menu to to change, they have two games. They have Street Fighter and Super Street Fighter Turbo, I think. When you go in that menu, you can even like adjust dip switches like you could if you had the real main board and change the difficulty oh, on neat. it in there and backlight and stuff. But the thing that blew me away with it, aside from just the quality, I mean, I mean, die cast metal parts and doors and tiny coins to put in, all those little neat details. But you alluded to it, Mo. Street Fighter 2 is a, at its core, is a two-player game. Yeah. And you can't get two people in front of a 12-inch arcade machine. It just You're not going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what they devised is they put a set of controls on the cabinet for you to play single player. In the back of the machine, you open a little door and you pull out a handheld second control or the oh, plugs in via USB. That's smart. <laughs> now, is that included with the $120 price tag or are there different price models like levels or something? It's absolutely included in the base price, that $120. Bucks. You have that second controller, it's built right in. And it's a standard USB uh, joystick. The video I plug into my computer and it just works. The beauty of it is in the hardware, it is exactly like what is in the machine. It's little tiny micro switches, it's the same scale and everything. So you can easily have two people playing at this machine at the same time. And there was some debate in the comments about, wow, 120 bucks for this. Is it worth it? Is it not? And I know, George, when we were talking when the video went live, you're like, there's no way this is worth 120 bucks. Right. Now that you've seen kind of the back and forth and the fact that, you know, there is a dragon's layer coming at the same form factor. <laughs> oh, forget it. He's screwed. Well, I mean, because they're <laughs> producing a dragon's layer, now my interest is peaked because that's probably right? my second yeah. favorite video game of all time. Sure. I still think it's worth the price point of 120 bucks. I think they have a challenge on their hands with all the competition. But when you look at it up close, it's worth it. Do you still feel that that's $120 is too much to pay for this little one six scale cabinet? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, because there are too many not great options yet, but there are too many other options out there that are cheaper than that for like-minded items. But are they as good though? It sounds like this is a pretty high quality system. Like a lot of thought went into it. And I know some of the other ones that we've looked at and John, especially the ones you've looked at. <laughs> subpar, right? Yeah. They're just, they're missing something, right? All of them are missing some, either the quality or the, is this one, do you feel is like a, a big step up from those? The challenge is this is like the collector's piece. This is less of a toy and more of a collector's piece. And as George just mentioned, there are way too many options out there for what you can get if you just want to play the game that are good enough for the average consumer. If you want it as a collector's piece, I don't think you can beat what this thing has done and what New Wave Toys is doing with their replicate units. But to George's point, there's so many other ways to just play that game, mm -hmm. depending on what you want to do with it. I'm finding myself leaning on your side, George, in terms of saying, is it too much to pay for this? Yes, it probably is. But the other question that I'll challenge you with is, do you think they're asking too much for the quality that they're delivering? Well, so it depends on which quality you care the most about. 
You talk about it being yeah. a collector yeah. piece, right? Mm-hmm. If it's yep. the gameplay, yeah, they're asking too much because I can do that gameplay much cheaper, much better, much faster with more options and varieties. So yes, mm-hmm. they're yep. asking too much for that. If it's the collector part of it, I still think they're asking a little too much because what's the one thing that we all have a problem with when we go to collect a series of things to try and be completionist on something or, you know, like that? It's space, right? Oh, yeah. I can collect these little crappy $20 Walmart things. A, they don't <laughs> piss off the wife because they're 20 bucks. <laughs> they're 20 bucks. They stack nicely. <laughs> I can fit them in a smaller space and have more of them, more examples of the arcade cabinets that I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. That thing, as large as it is, I just don't have the room to collect like a hundred of them, yep. nor would I want to spend that much. Maybe it's more like a when they make the one you absolutely yeah, love, like the Dragon's Lair. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a specialty one-off thing like the Dragon's Lair, because, you know, what are the odds that Dragon's Lair is going to come out in one of those $20 models? Slim to none, right? Yeah. If they and if it is, it'll a, be the NES version. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I never care about the gameplay on these things. They're not fun to play for me. The little small ones. I don't enjoy playing them. I just like looking at them. They're it's just that artifact again that we talked about. It's having yeah. that tangible item that reminds you of the arcade experience. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because the part of these things, even your one six scale that doesn't remind me of the arcade whatsoever is playing it. Right. It's just too small. My fingers are too fat. It doesn't feel good. But looking at it and admiring the art, turning it on and seeing it light up, seeing the screen, that stuff's cool. Gotcha. Yep. So I tell you that if they came out with like a Qbert, I would be all over it. <laughs> exactly. Right. If they I come out with really the one that it. you yeah. really want. Yeah. I would totally buy the one. I, you know. Then it's probably worth it. Maybe it's not worth collecting all of them at that price point. Maybe they're going to find the one that you love or the two that you love. And, you know, if they do it in a Galaga, George's all over right it. Do yeah. the street fighter yeah if it's a Gallic, he's like charge me 200 i don't care it's fine <laughs> right. well I, if you can get exactly what you remember in that scale to put on your desk you're gonna love I it at that price point. oddly frustrated at having to pay 120 versus being able to pay 100 <laughs> just that extra 19 dollars just it's that over extra, the top you're over that 99 dollar 99 cent mark and you're like okay now i gotta think about it but if it's at 99 $100 mark that changes the conversation from your wife from it does a hundred dollars to you spent over a hundred dollars over a hundred dollars exactly <laughs> well, i'll tell you what george if they come out with it i will front you the extra 20 to make it feel good how about that that would be awesome. okay thank you <laughs> no problem <laughs> After spending all morning at the auction, I shared the afternoon with two new treasures, a fine bone china cup and the taste of rich Swiss mocha from General Foods International Coffees. Celebrate the moments of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, time for the Generation X game segment. And we actually, all three have games to talk about today. Hooray so for since us. I actually have a game to talk about. I'm going to go last because I'm the most awesome and best and we save the best for last. So let's save the worst for first. And that's uh, what, Mo. Wait, Mo, what, what, what are you playing wait, today? What was that? Wait, I missed something. Wow. What was that? What, what? Mo, just, just remember you got an apology. Just remember that. All right, that's true. I'll, and then I'll give let's move forward. Well, hold on. Let me, let me dwell on that for a second. Okay, I'm ready. Ah, basket. Right. Okay, good. Mo, what are you playing? <laughs> well, it's a sequel to an existing game. Do you guys remember the Metro series? The Metro 20? Yes. 2035. Mm, no, okay. Yeah, there's like some post-apocalyptic yeah, you gotta wear like actually, radiation mask thing. Yeah. It was uh, based on a Russian science fiction novel. Ah, okay. Wow. Yeah, which uh, this is going back like probably 10 years ago at this, this point. Awesome book, by the way. And again, there was not a lot of Russian authors in that area, so 
it made a big splash even here on this side of the ocean. And this is a series that had like Metro. Yeah, they had a whole Metro bunch of Metro 2033. And, and, and so what it comes like down to, there's else. a nuclear war, right, of some yep. sort. And Most the people in yep. Moscow, in order to survive, they all fled down into the subway tunnels. And yes. so okay. this is now 20 years later or something like that after the war started. Yep. And the society has kind of developed under the thing. And if you go on the top side, it's radiation and there's these weird mutated animals and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Very, very immersive storyline, very kind of a dark story because, I mean, they spent a lot of time. It reminded me a lot of Half-Life 2 kind of where there's oh, just okay. a lot going on. Like When you walk oh, through yeah. the tunnels, it's not just, oh, there's walls. No, there's people talking. You hear the conversations. There's Because they live down there. Yeah, right? there's, there's actually things going on around you that you can just sort of sit, pay attention and just see what's happening. Yep. This is like they have like two or three sequels that all kind of take place inside these tunnels. All right. So this one is now the first one that takes place outside the tunnels. And, and what is this one? What is the game? It's called Metro 2035 Exodus. Ex- oh, so like Exodus leaving the tunnel? Leaving the tunnels because the oh, whole premise okay. is that there's no communication at all. So they don't know, is the whole world dead? Are we the last people left? They have no idea. Right. And so they find out in this one that actually there's a lot of people left and Russia was actually preventing signals from getting in and out of Moscow because- Oh, they were blocking they communication. Were blocking communication. And this guy figures it out. Those sneaky Russians. Yep. A guy <laughs> figures it out because, you know, there's a whole paranoia thing on there, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. And they go out and they're trying to find these people. So now it takes place outside the whole enclosed tunnel environment. And now it's like in the open air kind of thing. I'm digging this game. In a way, it's almost like you're playing two different games if you want, because you have a kind of a choice with some missions. Like, do I want to go during the day or night? You go in during the day, you deal with more bandits and people issues. Yeah. You go at night, you deal with more monster problems. Oh, and what kind of game is it? Is it still a first, first person, person yep, running gun shooter? Yeah, yep, first okay. person shooter. They already have a couple DLCs out, and it was on sale, which is why I picked it up. Oh, okay. Now I could get in trouble now. Tell me about the sale. <laughs> yeah, it was on uh, <laughs> is Steam. Big, you yeah. know, they're just selling the whole uh, sale on the whole franchise, including the new game. And this one was, I think when it first came out, it was like a $40 game and you could buy it for 20, mm, you know? Okay. And I was like, well, 20 Maybe. bucks. I like the other ones. I'll try it. It's one of these games, again, that you just feel like you're actually in it, dealing with people, you're talking with people, you get very, you know, you get attached to some of the other characters. You know, yep. somebody gets sick yep. with radiation poisoning. You're like, what the hell? You know, you're like, they can't die. You're going to try to figure out how to save them. So you're getting invested. It's not, it's, you're, are you telling me it's more than just a mission? Like you kind of actually want the character to live? Yeah, because I think you've yeah, seen yeah, the story. Do. And in some ways, it's a slow hanging fruit in the sense that, okay, it's post-apocalyptic. Everybody you find is almost important just because there's not that many people in general. Yeah, I, I guess it, it's it's kind of pandering to play toward your emotions like that. Yeah, but I mean, but that's, okay with that. that's the point. Yeah, yeah I want, I want to care. All the time, right? <laughs> I, I don't just want to fetch quest. I want to, I like, I want to care about the outcome of what I'm doing right. in a game. So that's good. So that definitely, I think, is well worth it. Okay, well, cool. Metro 2033, 2035. 2035 Metro Exodus. 2035 Exodus. 20 bucks on yep. Steam. Well, I've got another little indie game to talk about that I uh, got just very recently. Uh, it must have been back at the origin of Gen X Grown Up, and uh, uh, George was aggressively going out to indie game developers, and I said, hey, George, there's this game that's on my radar called The Pedestrian. Would you reach out to the developer? He said, sure. Yep. So you sent an email, never heard a peep. Wait, you're talking about like a couple of years ago? Yeah, a yeah, couple of like years ago. Yeah. It was right <laughs> when we first started working with uh, the guys who did Twin Cop. Oh, when yeah. we started yeah, yeah, really right? getting into all that yeah. stuff and started reaching out and meeting other people. All they did was, well, we'll add you to our mailing press release list and when the game comes out we'll send you a key which kind of sounds 
sounds like the kiss off. That. We'll never yeah. hear from them again, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but lo and behold, we did. We did. Yeah, we actually got a key from them uh, as promised, you know, two years ago, and they finished the game. <laughs> and I'll let John yeah. talk about the game because we did a live stream where John played it, and I think it was awesome. That's right. Oh, yeah, it looked amazing. I thought it looked pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I definitely did a live stream of the game. I was eager to play it. I told it had been on my wish list ever since I first saw it a couple of years ago, and I it, it was always at the top, but I figured I'll never see this game. It'll never happen. But, and then I got a key to play it. So the whole concept <laughs> of the pedestrian is look at like a, a crosswalk sign on the road. You have a little guy that's like just the outline of a person, and like his head is not quite attached to his body. He's just the generic form of a man, right? Right. Yeah, he's the men's bathroom guy. Take that guy, but animate him. But he lives in the 2D world of street signs. Yeah. That's where you're working. And your goal in every level is to get from the entrance of the sign. There's like a little door to there's an exit of a sign and everything looks like a sign would. It's kind of painted and peeling off of there and it's. Uh, and there's switches and things. And as it evolves, there's more like there's multiple signs you have to move between and you can put signs anywhere you want in relation to each other and draw a line between the doors and you cross from one sign to the other. It's like all of these signs in the universe are connected via these portals and you can leap between them. But at its core, it's just a really cool puzzle game. Yeah, let me tell you, I, I watched your live stream of this and I'm like getting ready to buy it just because it hits all my buttons as far as like mazes. I love mazes. Yeah. Puzzles just figuring out like because it seems like it's combining a whole lot of different things into one game which I'm like oh this is definitely something I'm going to have to pick up the surprise that I found in the live stream in fact toward the end of it I realized that for the first maybe 20 minutes of the game or so you're all living in this flat picture street sign world and then you start doing things that and and by the way your street signs are hanging in this beautifully rendered 3D environment and then you start interacting with the real world like you throw a switch and you see a wire in the real world light up and like oh my goodness and there's a long arc story that's working in this puzzle game it it surprised me yeah and george you said it kind of grabbed you too a little bit yeah i mean that was the part that grabbed me was when i noticed first that it wasn't just the things that the puzzle signs were telling you here's how you're interacting with this battery device or something like that what really got me was there was a scene where you had to turn on a button on one of your signs Mm -hmm. and that called the elevator and opened the door yeah in the I real world. Talking about. Yeah. 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 And right. that interactivity, yeah. which wasn't explicitly stated in the sign like the other one was, yep. it was just something that was nuanced. And then how the stuff going on in the background, you see like there's this one scene where you're kind of working your way through the signs inside a warehouse, like the different, oh, don't go here signs. And oh my God, this is a dangerous section over there kind of stuff. Yep. And you're working your way through that. And as you are on the other side of the warehouse through some windows and opening doors, things and stuff, there's like a subway train that's going by. And as you got closer and closer to it, as you went through these different signs, that subway got closer and closer. You could see more detail. You could see people. You could hear sounds. That was really impressive to me, the level of thought that it took to design the level with that in mind. Because then at the end of it, of course, now you're in the subway. (laughs) You're in it. Yeah. Toward the end of our stream, I got in the subway car and I had to solve one of the sign puzzles to make it drive and go to the next place. It was just really impressive. I like that. The thing that struck me the most about it, especially in hindsight, I don't think I talked about it during the live stream, is the core game, the little guy in a puzzle solving how do I get from the entrance to the exit, that could be a simple mobile game. Yeah. Sure. Not super complicated. But the fact that they took that and they thought about, well, where does this live? What's the greater world? How, how do they relate? 
it's got this kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to get too highbrow with it. Almost like a, like a metaphysical, like what's real and what's virtual kind of thing. It made me think after the fact, and which is why I went back and played it again. And I think it releases for like 20 bucks. Yeah, it's it's 20 out bucks now. Right it now. came yep. out just a few weeks ago. So yeah, it's called The Pedestrian. And uh, you can check out the live stream. We'll throw a link down in the comments underneath this show uh, if you're not sure. But I, I would say 20 bucks is well worth it for the quality of the game. And it's not like a super action shooter thing. It's a slow, contemporary figure out your puzzle and figure out how you interact with the real world. I think there's uh, there's something cool in there for anybody that likes that sort of puzzle game. Yeah. George, how about you? I know you promised that we would get our garbage out of the way and then the best <laughs> yeah, would be last. The best for last. So no pressure, but what's the a best game in the world? Just that better be good. Oh yeah, I was I was totally full of crap with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're used to that. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it is a fun game. You guys know that I don't often play video games anymore. I just don't find the time because I'm either being lazy and procrastinating by watching the Firefly series for the 27th time or <laughs> or Office for the 16th time yeah, or, whatever. or yep. the 15th edition of some, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High kind of film <laughs> or something. But I decided I wanted to, okay, we're going to have a podcast this week. I'm going to pick a game <laughs> and damn well play it and then talk about He's it on the podcast. He's taking another box. I'm taking a box. <laughs> he just played, so he had a topic. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. But it worked itself out to be a fun game. So the, the game <laughs> well, is called Abyss Odyssey. Is it a mobile game? Abyss. PC game? No, it's it's a Steam game. I don't know how much I paid for it. My guess is I must have gotten this in a humble bundle. I just essentially uh, one of those. ran a couple of filters in Steam. You know, like I want an adventure game. I want this or that. And this was one of the first ones up on the list, obviously, with Abyss Odyssey. You know, it was in the A's, so I didn't have to go very far down my list. <laughs> but you were searching games you already owned? Is that was yes. the deal? That was the f- yeah. Okay, gotcha. And yep. so I don't know how much I paid for it. I'm trying to find it. It came in a bundle right now. Probably a dollar or something. Who knows? Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, it's going for $14.99 right now. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. So $14.99, yeah, that'd probably be a fair price for this game. I don't think I would wow, go above okay. it. Um, so All right. I'll give you the premise. Imagine, if you will, an anime-styled fighter game, but in a platformer side-scroller motif. Okay. Okay, like, like a beat-em-up? Like you encounter lots of people that you exactly. fight along the way? Exactly, like a okay. year of Kung right. Fu where, you know, just guys are running at you Got left it. and right, and you're killing them. It does have some RPG elements in it in that you can level up your weapons and items, and you get potions and stuff like that. Uh, you're playing this character who apparently is not real, as are none of the <laughs> enemies she's fighting. Ooh, okay. This world at its core, in the core of this planet, lives a warlock who is dreaming. And his dreams are so powerful that they're becoming real and affecting the real world. Huh. That's an interesting premise. This character's job is to go down into the abyss, which is, you know, this hole or that's in or? the ground. Oh, okay. And, well, it's sort of, yeah. It, so it's this hole in the ground. She jumps down into it. And now she's in this dungeon-esque crawler level platformer kind of place and she's fighting these creatures apparently trying to get to the warlock to stop him from dreaming is what I've gathered oh Oh, you're trying to get to the origin of the dream yeah and it's an incredibly robust map they show you all the levels at least I think they show you all the levels right from the beginning and there's probably 
I don't know, 50 chambers in this thing. And one chamber takes me right now probably 20 minutes to play. Wow. It came out a while ago, too, actually. It came out in, it did, tw- in 2014. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised for a game that old to still be going for 15 bucks. That's actually saying something. The way you describe it makes it really interesting to me, too. I mean, it, the, the, there's, there's a cool premise, which is neat. Yeah. Sure. But I like that kind of like level based platformer. And there's an overall kind of goal you're trying to get to beyond just kill the monster at the end. There's something else happening. Yeah. And much like a lot of those games, you know, you walk up to a person, you converse with them and it's some pre-selected dialogue. You don't have any control over it. It's just That's those two people talking to inform the story. Uh, it's got mixed reviews on Steam. So I'm guessing that a lot of people went in thinking it was one thing and found out it was something different and didn't like it. Okay, But the gameplay itself is enjoyable. I think even if I had paid the full $15 price for this game, I would have been fine with it. I would have been okay with it. I'm definitely going to get my quarries out of it. 15 hours is no problem. In the first like couple of nights that I played it, I've played at least an hour, I think. That's quite a testament. And from someone who doesn't regularly play games. Right, exactly. You found something that really pulled you in and kept you coming back. Yeah, yeah. I was even playing it right before we started recording the podcast just because like oh yeah i want to go finish that level uh you do have some weird interactions if you die in the game you don't restart they take one of the real world people that you met this little soldier guy and he kind of takes your place and he picks up your sword and if he can get to a certain little location he can resurrect you and then you can play from there if he doesn't if he gets killed then you start outside the world outside the abyss again and you have to go back through the levels but here's the kicker the levels are changing because it's a dream. So every time you go back down into the levels, they're different. So that's a skill-based checkpoint. It's like you can resume from where you were if you can get back to where you were. Yeah, and... The other part of it is there are checkpoints that you can save your game at, but you have to have a certain token in order to do it. And so far, I haven't collected a single one of these checkpoint campfire tokens. (laughs) So that in itself is difficult. There's little places you can buy new weapons and artifacts to help you on your journey as you go through the game, little hidden things. It's really a nice amalgamation of all these different styles of games that doesn't feel forced. That's what I like about it. But it sounds like it's not difficult, like frustrating difficult. It's difficult. like rewarding difficult. I would not have played it for as long as I have. That's my thinking. Yeah. So, all right. Abyss Odyssey. Yeah. Very good. All right. Cool. Thanks, George. Box checked. (laughs) (laughs) For post-natural brand flakes, Rue McClanahan on getting the best out of life. Because last night I was so bad. I'm making sure I have a good morning. Reach for the best tasting high fiber brand flake. Post brand flakes at their best. Before we wrap up the show, we'd like to take just a moment toward the end to talk about what we're looking forward to between now and the next time we get together to record the podcast. I'm going to start with you, Mo. You have something that's coming right up in just a few days. Yeah, actually, it's going to be the day after this drops, I believe. Yep. On February 28th, Genix Grown Up is going to be at Video Games Live, which looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And for those of you who don't know what it is, and we'll have a link in the show notes, what it is is basically it's a multimedia music kind of experience where they have an orchestra that playing like music inspired by video games with a whole bunch of graphics and videos going on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's yep. even like a laser show-ish kind of thing going on and all that stuff. Tricking the nerds into listening to the symphony. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> you're going to get culture whether we like it or not. And <laughs> I looked at some of the uh, the videos of like the performances and stuff online and it looks like it's going to be a blast. And they called us and asked us if we would like to kind of be there before the show starts just to kind of, because they said, you know, hey, it's your people kind are going to be Kind of being nerd here. ambassadors, right? Yep. There's going to be people milling about and there are local people here in Jacksonville that are going to be they're going to the show 
And they said, hey, you come out and be these kind of nerd ambassadors. We're going to have a table there in the lobby and talking to people pre-show. Yeah, it sounds like a really nice chance to interact specifically with people uh, that are local to Gen X growing up here in North Florida. That could be a lot of fun. And I think definitely in our demo. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's going to be people that are going to... For sure. That we're going to want to talk to and they're going to want to talk to us. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, And George, you have another kind of convention-y sort of thing that you're looking forward to. Well, I wouldn't call it convention-y. I would say convention. That's what it is. Straight up convention. (laughs) Yes, it is. Convention. Infinity Con, Lake City, March 7th to the very next weekend after we go to Video Games Live. I don't know what year this is for them, like nine or 900. I don't know. They've been doing them for quite a while. We got hooked up with them uh, about three years ago at this point. I had gone to one of their events because it was on my birthday and they had the entire uh, reimagined Battlestar Galactica crew there, almost the entire crew there. Sure. They don't charge a crazy amount of money. They've backed off of having the high profile. Yes, there, which I kind of like. John, you know, we've talked about it many times that when we go to these mega conventions like MegaCon or DragonCon or something like that, they have Mm -hmm. umpteen different A-list celebrities in the different genres. We often get overlooked or walked past because there's too much to do, too much to see. Yep, It's like these smaller conventions like InfinityCon, the people, they're able to have the time to stop at each and every booth and talk to people. And that's where we seem to shine. So we will have a 10 by 10 table at InfinityCon Lake City this year. I'm very much looking forward to it because I've enjoyed InfinityCon even before we had Gen X grown up. So yeah, yeah. quality convention. I hesitate to call it a smaller convention. I mean, just it maybe is small. smaller I mean, it is, like it's notoriety. Not, like, compared to MegaCon, DragonCon, it's definitely smaller. It, well, well, yeah, it's, it's strictly in size, but like in quality per pound, this convention, I mean, the guys that run it really focus on making sure that you're having a good time, that the vendors yeah. are happy. And uh, like you, I'm looking forward to being there. Yeah, me too. I mean, I remember, I mean, the previous years we've gone it's just uh, to me it's just the right size sure big yeah, enough yeah. where there's yep. enough variety of things to look at but it's small enough right you can take a lot of time at each one and talk with people and they don't feel like they're rushing you and there's not like a thousand people going you know it's just a really nice enjoyable time to go there yeah it's definitely in the goldilocks zone yep <laughs> just right just right what about you john what are you looking forward to i'm looking forward to something that's in the future for me but if you're listening to this podcast actually just came out yesterday so on february 26th there's a new series dropping on netflix called i am not okay Okay with this. Oh, I saw the trailer for this. So yeah. this is, uh, it's kind of being touted and positioned as the next Stranger Things. They would like you to think. I, I'll reserve judgment for there yeah. because Stranger Things is its own thing, but uh, it is centered around, it feels very, and I know we've kind of, we've beat the Life is Strange horse pretty hard on this podcast, but it feels kind of Life is Strangey. So you have mm, uh, okay. a couple of girls that are uh, say 16, 17 uh, age group, uh, but this one girl going through uh, high school, and I think there's a line where she actually says, I'm an average, boring white girl, 17 years old. Like, that's my life. She's kind of depressed a little bit. And then she finds out accidentally that she has some kind of superpowers. And what are they? How are they manifesting? She doesn't have control over them. She, it's unclear. And her best friend is like the super popular girl. And she has a nerdy friend. It feels like a series, like uh, like a Stranger Things merged with a John Hughes kind of DNA. <laughs> right. A little bit of she's all that mixed in there for good measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am not okay with this on Netflix, February 26th, uh, something that I'm definitely looking forward to. And you as a listener can look forward to watching it right now, I guess, because it's out now. Cool. Now save more innocent potato lives with new family size rice You get 50% more great tasting rice Save a potato. Come on, save his little skin. Serve new family size rice 
If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus, you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. That is going to wrap it up for this entry in the Gen X Grown Up podcast pantheon of episodes. But before we leave any given show, you know, I can take just a moment here at the end to give our sincere gratitude to the people who support us financially over on Patreon. Uh, And as I've said many times, these are literally folks that believe in us enough to give us a few dollars a month to help keep the lights on and uh, just really support what we do here on the podcast over on YouTube and on the website. And I'm talking about you guys. Uh-oh. Greg Z, Mike R, Jonathan H, Mark, Dana, Levi, Mike C, Stu Monkey, Blasted or Stash, Stone, <laughs> screwed it up, Tony Stubaka, Agile Arlem, Dan Davis, T2, Marcus Lobo, Greg L, Stian, Chad, Adam, Gary, Thomas, and new, since we last spoke, Ben Woo. has joined us Thank as you, a ben. patron. That's the very same Ben we talked about at the top of the show who wrote in as a fourth listener. Uh, and on top of that, what was uh, more? John with an H, he increased his Patreon level, his pledge level wow. by 50%. He bumped it up just because, just because he loves us. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So if you would like to join these fine folks, Mo, tell them how easy it is to join them over on Patreon. It's stupid easy to do. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And that's exactly why we had Mo tell everybody, because it's stupid easy. It's stupid easy. Oh, yeah, he's, he's really trying to make up for that apology. Yeah, I he's know, trying to I, dig that's it. That's okay. I'm still, just riding, a few I'm still daggers. riding on that. You know, that's going to be my theme <laughs> song just, now. From it just, turns you know. in my stomach like a knife that's been rusted for 20 millennia. Yeah, You're not going to get that smile off Bo's face, there. He's so happy. I'm sorry. He's singing the brick house to you. Well, at least he's magnanimous in his victory. Yes. God forbid. We will be back in two weeks with a regular edition of the show, but next week is our backtrack. We pick a single nostalgic topic and dig in deep and it's a pretty special backtrack this time George. Yes, before we say goodbye goodbye today, we are actually going to a dead man's party next week where we are going to talk all about (laughs) Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman. Oh, the puns. Thanks to Stubaka. Yes. Stubaka. And I say one thing. Thank you, Stubaka. Thank you so much for not picking many, many, many of the other topics that we were. Other things you could have picked. You could have picked. (laughs) Yes. Stubaka was the winner of our fourth quarter, fourth listener, uh, listener drive. And uh, we're going to be doing his topic, which is Oingo Boingo, Danny Elfman. That's next week. You don't want to miss it. Until then, I'm John. George, thank you for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know, I appreciate you. Oh, man. Always fun. Fourth listeners, though, we appreciate you most of all. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown-Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Unless your email is just doesn't fit or something. I don't know. <laughs> what the? Unless we decide not to. I, I don't know where that was going. I'll, I'll have to fix it later. <laughs> fix it in post. Uh, absolutely. And now Generation X proudly brings to you. Nope. Fuck that. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that was going the, in a whole different direction. 
I like the direction of it. Uh, it just yeah, died. I was like, I was, I was actually listening. <laughs> uh, uh, that, yeah, no, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm sure I must have got it on Humble Bumble, Hundle Bumble, right. Hundle. Humble, humble okay. bundle. So I'm going to try and say that humble, humble bundle. bundle. <laughs> <laughs> they need to change the name of that damn service. Anyway. <laughs>I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.